Welcome into a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is my guy, Daniel Galvans. We're here to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Of course, uh, it has been a couple of days since uh, we typically do this show. As uh, Daniel noted to me, like last week we had to sh- delay the episode a day because of he was going through a, a hurricane there in the Rio Grande. Of course, I was going through a hurricane here in the Tampa Bay area this week. Uh, all is well for me. I know we had some flooding in various areas uh, of Tampa Bay, but for me, every Everything was all good, and uh, I'll tell you, Daniel actually came to the office yesterday, no traffic on the road. Come to the office this morning, a little different story. Took me a little longer to get to the office today. Well, I'm just glad you're doing all right. I'm glad that the the storm was a bit north of you, and I hope everyone is doing all right. I mean, I know you know so many people in the state. Hell, you're going to be up there in Seminole country, I think. On Saturday, are you going to go up there on Saturday? No, I'm I'm going to watch the the fights uh, from uh, home. It's oh, it's in Orlando. You got to remember that the game's game, in Orlando. The game. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Orlando? Yeah, FSU oh. and LSU is actually in Orlando at the uh, the Camping World Stadium, or what people probably know as the old Citrus Bowl. Uh, but yeah, man, just bro, tickets are just. Dude, it's it's just tickets are outrageous. I, I just I, it's it's one of those things of like as I'm like looking at you know. Okay, how how are we spending money this month? <laughs> and looking about how much that trip would have cost me, uh, I'd say, you know what, I'm gonna enjoy the we're gonna enjoy the game here. Go to go to one of the bars where the uh, the Seminole uh, alumni goes, and uh, got to get there early because if you don't get there early, uh, you ain't getting a seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, yeah, that's the uh, you know it's been a rough week, but uh, hopefully everyone stays safe, and this weekend we can kind of get back to normal and can enjoy college football, a UFC event in France, get ready for NFL um, on next Thursday. You know, things are getting back to normal, man. And, uh, yeah, it's been a while last two weeks. You know, I was really fortunate last week where the storm was north of me. You got the outer bands this week. And, again, praying for everyone that got severely flooded. But um, that's the – you know, that's what it's like living in Texas or living in Florida on the coast is – when it's hurricane season, it can be a Sunday, things are normal, and all of a sudden, Monday, Tuesday, you turn on the news and you start to realize, hey, in about a day and a half, you're going to deal with some crazy wind and possible flooding. Yeah. Uh, hey, we, you know, that's, that's, that's the life we chose, living where we live, man. Yeah, lived here all my life. Been, been through this plenty of times. You kind of you kind of know what, what's going to happen, but all is well here. Of course, uh, coming up on this episode, we're going to talk about uh, what happened last week in MMA. Talk about uh, use a little hockey reference. Our three stars of last weekend. Of course, also we'll talk about the investment that is, was announced uh, inside the PFL and uh, maybe some some of our initial takeaways from that investment. Also, we got a UFC show coming up on Saturday. UFC Paris, of course, headlined by Gon as uh, fighting in his home country. There, of course. Uh, taking on uh, Sergey Spivak and uh, some other things. Of course, Rose Namajunas moving up to 125 pounds. What does she look like taking on Mino Fiorota? And, of course, uh, who knows what else might come. Also, you know, we, we've been slacking a little bit here on the pod. We've been forgetting about doing our draft past two months, but we're going to do our draft for September. Of course, we got four UFC events, plus we got a Bellator event, which uh, a lot of people kind of noting of, man, Bellator putting on a lot of fights in, <laughs> in these fight cards. they got 21 fights coming up on their event on September the 23rd. Of course, that's going to be the card. Headlined by Johnny Eblen 
and Fabian Edwards. So we got a ton to talk to about in the world of mixed martial arts. Of course, as always, we appreciate every time everyone taking time out of the day, download and listen to this episode of the podcast, whether it's on the podcasting platforms or if you're checking out on YouTube, trying to grow that YouTube audience here for the podcast. So if you are watching on YouTube, if you can hit that thumbs up on the video, that would be much appreciated. If you can share the podcast, I would appreciate that as well. But, uh, you know, Daniel, you know, anyone who's gone to a, an NHL hockey game, you know, at the end of the game, they do the three stars of the game. And to me, as I look back at last weekend, I, I think there's no question about what the three stars of last weekend are. And these, are, for me, are in no particular order. Shane Burgos, Clay Collar. We talked about last week on the pod that that was a fight that we were really looking forward to. And, man, that fight absolutely delivered. Clay Collar, man, the, the body work that he put in, just the, the massive amount of volume that he put in in that fight. And, of course, uh, I will say this. when I was watching the fight card live, and when Shane, when the, the fight ends after the third round, of course, there was part of me that's like, man, I wish there was maybe two more rounds of this. But then when Shane Burgos raises his hands, I'm like, hold on, this dude does not think he won this fight, right? I'm like, and then like, so as you're waiting for the judges' scorecards to get read, I'm like, okay, please tell me Clay Collard is not going to get screwed by the judges here again. Yeah, because he's had that history of going the distance in the semifinals and not getting his hand raised even earlier in the tournament, lost a split decision. But round two was probably the round that Shane maybe thought he won, even though he lost most of it. Getting that one knockdown on Clay Collar, maybe you can talk yourself into winning that round if you were the actual fighter in the cage. But rounds one and two were Collar's rounds. Round three was Shane's round. And the reason why Clay Collar won this fight was he kept on coming. Kept on coming, moving forward. This was a hell of a fight, probably the best fight of the PFL season. Somehow, this fight was much better than Sadabusi and Carlos Leal. How? I have no idea. I thought Sadabusi was going to steal the show. But Collard and Burgos, they put on a hell of a show. It was a nice story to see Clay Collard in the finals. And, you know, we got Clay Collard, Oliver, Aubin, Mercier. Do I think the lightweight tournament has peaked? I mean, yes, probably. Because I think OAM is going to go out there and wrestle Clay Collard. So... I, I do think we've seen the best fight in the in the lightweight tournament, probably the best fight of the entire PFL season. Burgos Collard are both deserving of a star, and for Shane Burgos, this was his initial outing in the PFL. He had a couple blemishes, but he should be proud of what he accomplished. And going into next season, I'm still all in on watching Shane Burgos fight. Man, he is a guy I want to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned about that OAM and Collard fight, and, and to me, it's going to be very interesting. You know, we have we have seen the evolution of OAM, you know, since you know his time in the UFC into where he's at now, and it's one of those things of we see. I, I think we've seen OAM really round out his game, but clearly, you, you make the great point. Like, if you're OAM, it's kind of like when we talk about surreal gone and Spivak a little bit later on in the show. Lace up them wrestling shoes, Sergey Spivak. Lace up those wrestling shoes, OAM, because that is definitely the key to go out there. Of course, uh, you know, one thing I'll say I'll, f- I'll find interesting is uh, as I'm watching the PFL event last weekend, of course, I, I want to say it was a couple days before this event. They announced, you know, the November 24th will be the finals uh, Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, but the one thing that was very interesting, there is no mention about where this thing's being broadcast. So I was like, I guess we're going on that pay-per-view route again. Uh, PFL, I think you might want to put that thing on ESPN, ESPN Plus, because I just, I, when I look at what this season has been for the PFL, I think that's going to be a tough sell on pay-per-view if they put the championships on, on pay-per-view. I think that's going to be a really tough sell for them. 
I mean, it's going to require a big fight because when we're looking at the at the finals, we're looking at what Jesus Pinedo, Gabriel Braga, Ipakasagane, Josh Silvera. We're looking at uh, Hennan Ferreira and Dennis Goltsov. We're looking at Marina Muknaktikina and Larissa Pacheco. We're looking at OAM and Clay Collard and Sadabusi and Magomed Magomakaramov. That's not going to sell any pay-per-views. You're going to need um, a real draw to put on that show. And is it a Kayla Harrison fight? I mean, I know she's but, probably not going to fight till next year. Uh, but who do you put? It is. Who do you put against Kayla? That's going to get you interested. You tell uh, Marina to chill out, and you put her against Larissa Pacheco, and a and a you make it a new final matchup. You're just like, ah, screw it, Larissa. Maybe Larissa has to fight twice in one night. She has to win the tournament, and just to fight Kayla Harrison. Yeah, I just I, I look at that and I just go I, oh, I just what if you do Cyborg Kayla Harrison? Well you Ooh. gotta remember Cyborg's fighting October seventh. Oh, that's a good point. Well that might I mean I, I, I to me I feel like if you're going to and we'll, we'll get into this later, but when the potential acquisition happens, like to me, if you're you're going to do that right, if you're the PFL, is you gotta build up that fight. You you gotta do like you got to have like a three month build up to to really get people excited. Time out wise, I I just think it's not a fight that you can just rush and expect that that match because you're going to do well in there. Uh, now my second and third star, they both tie together. They both have to do with what we saw at UFC Singapore, and you know I, I talk about this all the time is as people who talk about the fight game who are you know podcast content creators is that it is very easy just to be negative about things going on in the world of MMA. that is the easy thing to do in what we do but we always talk about like you got to give people their roses give them their flowers when they deserve it let's give the flowers and the roses to the ufc production team for the ending of ufc singapore as we see the, re- the retirement or retirement you you know i don't believe that r word of the korean zombie as he's down on his hands and knees gloved down very emotional walking out and they just let the sights and sounds of the arena tell the story bravo ufc production team that you talk about excellent in broadcasting look i've been in play-by-play broadcasting for 20 years as i was sitting on my recliner watching that and i tweeted about it i was like this is goddamn amazing by the UFC production team here. Whether that this was something planned by by Zach Candido and and the team behind the scenes there at the UFC, or if this was just a kind of in the moment thing of someone going in the ears of the announcers, going, "Hey, we we turned off your mics. We're just going to let this scene play it out." I thought that was tremendous by the UFC production team. No, it was beautiful, straight up beautiful. It was a plus. It takes balls. It takes ganas to do that. All right. It takes balls to tell your commentators to not talk and say, we're going to rely on the natural sound to tell the story for like five minutes. And it was worth it, dude. There was so much information, so much story being told from the crowd reaction, uh, from the song that was playing zombie. It was the emotion on Korean zombies face, the interaction with his family, his training coaches, his friends. A story was told with just the video and the natural sound, and it was something that will be memorable. It's something that would have been lost in the shuffle if it was obscured by commentator audio. And it was a badass call. It was a badass moment. Korean Zombie is a badass fighter, and it was captured. And, man, I tell you what, that uh, 
If, if we have somebody who's listening to this podcast who just recently became a mixed martial arts fan, you need to go back and you need to watch Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia at WEC 48. That's when Korean Zombie became Korean Zombie, and that was one of the best fights of all time. Yeah, you know, when you, I think from, I mean, the walkout was tremendous. And, and I don't know if you've seen the video, it's all over Instagram from, uh, I want to say it's the office of, of singing that song, saying this is every MMA fan this week. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens here. And, and I'm gonna, I want to talk a little bit more about the Korean zombie here in a minute. But to me, the other star was just the actual fight uh, of going out there and, you know, zombie he caught max early on that first round and it's like max had to kind of reset a little bit and then i mean look the fight's not going the way the korean zombie wants and there's just something about a fighter saying screw it i'm going out on my shield either i'm knocking him out or he's knocking him out and as a combat sports fan that's what we love. We love to see a fighter just go out there and say, I'm putting it all on the line. I'm not going to sit here and lose a decision. I'm going for it. And as a fight fan, and look, that's why he's 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 a zombie. I mean, look, how he survived that choke in, what was it, the first round? First or second? First, was it the second the round? first round. It feels like it was the first round, but yeah, it all blends together. I mean, yeah. I mean, he survives. I mean, look, I guess you just can't choke out a zombie. You got to take the zombie's head off. Yeah, dude, that was... That was <laughs> that was so smooth by Max, bro. He like dropped Zombie, and then he was like, "All right, well, this fight's over." And Zombie's like, "Bro, I'm a zombie. I'm not over." And dude, Max just slipped in that that choke like it was like butter. And uh, yeah, the Korean Zombie exemplified why Chan Sung Jung has earned that nickname, bro. In so many different ways, not giving up. Continuing to move forward, saying, F it, I'm going to go out on my shield. And guess what? This wasn't a hollow threat. This was a very real threat. If Max didn't, if Max Holloway wasn't Max Holloway, he would have been unconscious. Because Korean Zombie was bringing some real offensive firepower. It's just Max had some of the best boxing in the sport. Max is still in his prime. He's still one of the best fighters on the roster. He's... Is he the oldest 31-year-old on the planet? Yes, he probably is, right? Max Holloway has been fighting since he was about 14 years old in the UFC. But this was awesome. Korean Zombie had a hell of a performance against one of the best fighters on the planet. And the fight itself was awesome and memorable and something I'm not going to forget. We had two great fights this weekend. Collard and Burgos, Holloway, Korean Zombie. These are two fights you got to think of when we're wrapping up the year and thinking about all the great moments we had. And I don't know if you happen to see uh, the zombies post with his wife in the ER room where he, uh, via translate here on Instagram, uh, he says, I haven't achieved everything, but I'm pretty enough and I'm going to stop wanting more from my hair. I feel like I got a little, I've got a little more love than I did. Thank y'all. I will no longer live a life where I'm evaluated and compared. I am lonely, regretful, and scary. I don't know what to do, but whatever I do, I will do my best, and whatever I do with my heart. In the meantime, thank you so much for loving Korean pottery. I was really, really happy fighting in the UFC. Thank you, Dana White and the UFC, Sean Shelby, for giving me this life, and it was an honor, Max Holloway, to be my last fight, fight partner. 
Let's greet with a smile and a bright smile one day again with the happy space emoji there. And uh, I'm guessing that might have been maybe written by his manager, Jason House, a little bit there. Maybe Jason helped him write that thing out there a little bit there. But, you know, one of the things of when we, we think about fighters in retirement, this is a, a different retirement, Daniel, because this is a fighter going out there and saying, if I can't be the best, I don't want to do this anymore. And it made me think about the difference between that and what we talked about, what, last week on the show, two weeks on the show about Tony Ferguson. Or Tony Ferguson, we've seen how it's gone. And like you compare and contrast of the zombie going, hey, man, I'm not here to be the eighth, ninth, tenth best guy in the world. I'm here to be the first, you know, the, the best guy in this division. And then you compare it to Tony Ferguson, it's just, man, it's just a massive contrast. Well, dude, the, the thing is, it's kind of the same because Tony Ferguson thinks he can become the champion. <laughs> you know, he does. So, <laughs> bro, he does. I, 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 Am I, 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 wrong? <laughs> okay. How many people outside of Tony Ferguson believe that? Nobody, because the body is limiting him. Like, like, and the body is limiting guys like Chris Weidman as well. And it's going to limit all of us in whatever we do. It's That's just how life works. You know, MMA is a brutal sport. I think Korean Zombie may have benefited from... This is the... We can kind of talk about it here where it's like, you know, he's 36 years old, but he's fighting like he's 32 right now. He's still fighting really good. He did have one performance recently maybe it was either against volkanovsky yeah against volkanovsky korean zombie looked really really bad he looked old but i do think the time away from the cage when he had to go do his military service may have served him well in terms of keeping his body in in better condition because you're talking about a four-year span where he wasn't actively competing actively training and there is something about that wear and tear on your body that happens that's why you see maybe some people who didn't compete in high school athletics do professional sports and not have too many injuries because they spent their whole adolescence not doing wear and tear on different stuff. So for Korean Zombie, I think maybe the year off has preserved his body a little bit, but you also got to look at the flip side. What would have happened had Korean Zombie been in the gym those three, four mm-hmm. years when he was in his prime? Who knows? Would he have been a UFC featherweight champion? Yeah, I mean, you got to think about it. So August 3rd, 2013 was that TKO loss against Jose Aldo. He didn't return until February of 2017, which was a knockout win against Dennis Munez. But the thing is, in those four years, the rest of the division was leveling up. Of course, two of those years were uh, was when he was doing his mandatory military service over there. Of course, also, you know, he had the, the shoulder injury in the Aldo fight coming from. He's had various injuries, but it's just something that we necessarily don't hear from a fighter saying, you know what, if I'm not the best, I'm just not going to do that. And, and, you know, look, and a lot of that clearly of why a fighter continues to go on is, you know, it is a financial aspect of it. But to me, the, the part about, and I want to pull that Instagram post up once again, because I, I thought it was a, a really interesting, there, there's a part of it that he says in this, um, where he says, he goes, I no longer live a life where I am evaluated and compared. I am lonely, regretful, and scary. And to me, I think that is a, a big part of, you know, look, I'm not a fighter, but you know, I can imagine that a lot of fighters probably can relate to what zombie is saying there and saying like, 
if I'm not doing this anymore, what am I doing? But also the part where he says, he goes, I no longer live a life where I'm evaluated and compared. Man, that, that's that's deep. That is. That's the pressure people feel. That's the pressure athletes feel. You wake up and you ask yourself, if you're a quarterback of a football team, you're the starting quarterback, you are constantly being compared against 31 other dudes. And you're asking yourself every single day, did I outwork those 31 other dudes? And you are driven crazy by it. You're like, should I be waking up earlier? Should I be spending more time in the weight room? Should I be spending more time in the film room and not with my family? That pursuit of greatness in athletics can be really, really dark. But that is the cost athletes give up to achieve greatness. And when one retires, there's value in saying that was the downside of being an athlete. There's a lot of upsides, but now I can move to this next part of my life and that downside won't be there. The flip side is when you retire and you spent your whole life as a competitor, Jason, there's that hollowness that's inside where you maybe don't have that purpose. And that's scary too, right? It's easy to wake up and be like, I just got to be the best in the world at mixed martial arts. That's my goal. But then you retire and you wake up and you're just like, what's my goal? To have a really good podcast? What's my goal? To, to, to coach some kids? That is why so many people return back to mixed martial arts because that's what they know how to do. And will Korean Zombie return back? I think yes. The man wasn't sure if he was going to retire <laughs> heading into the cage. It wasn't a foregone conclusion. Yeah, because you've been around the sport. You know. You, you already know. Yeah, he's going to come back. He's going to fight somebody. He's probably yeah. going to fight Leonard Garcia. Round three. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's – it's and this it's why I just do not believe retirements in MMA. It's just it's a reason. But um, you know, I remember I was listening to uh, to Josh Thompson and and uh, Big John's podcast this week, and I thought one of the interesting things that, that Josh brought up because he you know, he talked about his retirement and and he he, he kind of said he's like, man, I knew I just I didn't have that anymore, you know, and I just I didn't want to be the guy that stuck around. He goes, but also he goes, I had other opportunities. He goes, I had businesses that I was running. He goes, I, I had a, a a commentary role with Bellator, so it, it made things easier for him. But you know, he said one of the things that he feels that you know, and kind of paraphrasing what he said was basically like, there's going to come a time where, as a fighter, you you can be in Vegas, you know, sitting at a blackjack table, and everybody recognizes you. But if you're tired, three four years later. No one may recognize you. And, and, and the way I kind of took what he said is like, it's kind of like in a way, like I talk about like sometimes on social media, people, you know, like you, you talk about vices we have or, you know, you know, whatever he is. And, and for a lot of people, vices may be likes. And for some athletes, the vice may be that attention. And we'll see what happens with zombie there. The other thing I did want to mention about the UFC card and, um, and I reached out to Mike Mazzulli about this. And in the the Taffa and Parker fight, there's a blatant fence grab. Nothing happens there. And it becomes a situation of, I just wonder, there's got to be a point where the MMA Rules and Regs Committee kind of looks at this thing and goes, what can we do? And I know it, I know probably a, 
a referee does not want to be put in a position where, you know, you take a point away or, or maybe a guy loses position. But, like, and I saw Tyson Shardy, who's a manager of Parker Porter, said, like, we got to have a point deduction for a blatant fence grab because it was a blatant fence, fence grab by Toff. And, of course, he ends up winning by knockout shortly after that. And it's just, it's one of these things, as we talk about, as, of, of evolving the sport of mixed martial arts. I, I think fence grabs has got to be something that really gets looked at seriously over the next year. Yeah, yeah, looked at seriously and something done about it because it's real simple. Point deduction for a fence grab. I've gone over this one over and over again, and it's real simple. Uh, but it's 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 intentional. It's an intentional foul. Uh, deduct a point. Okay, if you're on if you're on the way down, how about instead of a point deduction, the guy gets butterfly guard in the bottom. That's also another suggestion. But but be- if you're refereeing a fight, do you want to make that decision? Yeah, which is maybe you take that out of the hands of the referee when it comes to the point deduction. That can be an official on the outside making that call. And the butterfly guard position is probably something that would require the in-cage officials. And and so that one to me is a little more complex. I like rules to be simple. And I, I just think point deduction is bare bones. It's simple. It makes sense. If it doesn't if it doesn't accomplish what we're trying to get after, then we can look and add more adjustments. But the first step should be the point deduction. But the problem is that just benefits a striker so much. Yeah, but you lose a point. I mean, I, no, I I get that. At, okay, yeah. all right. If me and you are in the cage together, I know you're the wrestler. I'm the striker. I know that your whole game plan is take my ass to the ground. If I sit there and say, "Hey, I know this on the feet. I'm knocking Daniel out." I'd be grabbing that fence every goddamn time you almost have me to the ground. I don't care how many points you take away from me. You lose three points, and I'm going to start being like uh, Caleb Stars. I'm going to run away from you, and you're going <laughs> to land. I'm going to land zero strikes, but you because you lost the first round nine to four, I'm going to beat you. Yeah, I mean, that, I get what you're saying. Uh, maybe we do a point deduction, and we put you in the butterfly guard. I, I just I, – I mean, look – it's one of those things of, of how many times have we watched a fight and you just see whether it's blatant or not, a guy will get warned 15 times before a point is deducted. And, and I mean, and look, Mark Otter was a referee in this fight. So, I mean, it, it's, and, and Mark Otter to me is one of the, if not the best referee in the game, one of the best referees in the game. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I, I will say this. I did not get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to watch UFC Singapore live. I, I woke up a little before 8 o'clock, you know, turned on the fights at that point because, uh, yeah, I, I like I like my sleep. Yeah, yeah, same here. I watch this on demand. Um, if I was going to give you three stars for the weekend that weren't your stars, which your stars were the accurate stars, those are the people who deserved it. The three sub-stars is, since we already talked to OAM, I'll leave them off. The other PFL fights aren't deserving of any stars. Michael McCarramoff and Renfro and, and C and Leah were both boring fights. Although I will say Solomon Renfro fought Magomed Karamov tough, so kudos to him. But my three stars, Jason. Number three, um, I'm going to go with uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta. Ex- yeah, he, he had an awesome knockout over Lucas Brzezinski where Lucas just did a face plant. Number two is going to be – this is a tough one because really there's so many good performances. But number two is going to be Michael Alexis. Sejuk against Chidi and Jaquani. That was the third best fight of the weekend where Chidi had him hurt, but then Michael finished him. 
It was a great fight. And then the number one star, Aaron Blanchfield. You know, tough fight against Talia Santos. Talia Santos showed her stand-up in round one. But Blanchfield wanted the storm, used her wrestling in round two. Round three was the aggressor. She beat a very tough opponent, and Aaron Blanchfield is now looking at a women's flyweight championship opportunity. And somebody I didn't mention but have to is Rinya Nakamura at Bantamweight. Dominated the hell out of Fernie Garcia. And Rinya Nakamura at 135 is a name to keep an eye out for. He is awesome. I got an honorable mention. Uh, is This is the first time I've watched him live. Amateur fighter for the PFL. The grandson of Muhammad Ali. Ali Walsh. That boy got some hands. I mean, yeah. I'm watching. Now, look, it was an early stoppage. He even said after the fight, that was an early stoppage. But, man, I'm sitting here watching. And this is the first time I've really watched him. I mean, I know the PFL is, is they are all in on this kid. I mean, they're promoting the hell out of this kid. They put him on the main card. You know, he, he's won five in a row after dropping his amateur debut back, back in 2022. But I'm watching this fight, Daniel. I'm like, holy crap. If this kid gets some wrestling in him, he's training extreme couture. So, you know, he's getting that work on, on the ground aspect. But, his hands are crisp. They're fast. I, I I was when I did the show with Pete last uh, Friday. Me and him were talking about it, and I was just like, I was and, and look, Pete's a striker, and even Pete's like, he's like, yeah, that boy's got some hands. I mean, if people didn't see that fight, go back and watch it, and just kind of watch the work that he puts in. Those hands are fast, and no idea what the plan is in terms of how many amateur fights they're going to give him before he ends up going into that pro debut. But man, I I was just I was watching that and I was like, whew, this boy's hands are crisp. I mean, I guess we should be surprised when you're the grandson of Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and his kicks were there too in that fight. He he was starting to showcase some kicks against uh Ed Davis, and yes, it was an early stoppage, but if that fight wasn't stopped then, it would have been stopped in ten seconds. I mean, yeah. Ali well, was I mean, just a better striker. In oh, amateur yeah, fight, yeah. You, you see that, but you see that happen a lot. In amateur fights where refs are are little, they're quicker because I, I think it's also I think it's that mindset of like, man, it's an amateur fight, uh, live to fight another day type mentality. Because at the end of the day, you know, whenever Ed Davis, whenever he makes his pro debut, no one's going to remember what his amateur record was. Like, th- there's guys that yeah, they've gone undefeated and gone on to great pro careers, but there's also guys who've in their amateur career, they were just working out the kinks, and they might have lost three or four fights. And by the time they, then they turn amp, then they turn pro, and then you know what? They go on a great run. Yeah, that, and there's nothing wrong with being trigger happy on the stoppage in an amateur fight. You are totally right, but uh, that was definitely one of the more notable things on PFL. And yeah, we'll see what happens with Ali Wash. But um, you know, you got the grandson of Muhammad Ali. That's pretty, pretty. You know, that you got to promote that because. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just got to. And uh, overall, it was a good week. And I think the only thing we didn't mention that's worth mentioning is, you know, Anthony Smith got a win over Ryan Spann. And uh, Giga Chikadze's stand-up looked pretty good as he returned to the cage against Alice Caceres. Bro, the the, the Anthony Smith-Ryan Spann fight, like, neither one of them can be upset about how that judge's score went because that could have gone either way. Like it was not a robbery. It was a close fight. I thought it was twenty nine twenty eight Ryan Span, but um, you know, I mean, look, the first and second round are clear. Third round, 
uh, I think if you're Ryan Spann, it probably just comes down to just just not enough volume and going out there and going into it. Now, uh, this week, one of the, the bigger news stories out there was a press release that came out yesterday, and this came from the PFL. By the way, the press release uh, came to me at 2.59 a.m. Really interesting time to send out a press release announcing a very uh, big news here as the PFL and SRJ Sports Investment have signed a global MMA investment agreement. Of course, this is uh, Saudi Arabia entering into the world of mixed martial arts. And uh, some of the keynotes here from the press release from the PFL was uh, investment to propel PFL signing more top talent and star fighters. Investment into accelerating global expansion, including the PFL Mena League in 2024. PFL PFL pay-per-view super fights will launch and be hosted in Saudi Arabia in 2024. An investment will facilitate sports participation across Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, to me, in you talk about initial reactions into this, I think we all knew there was only a matter of time before we saw Saudi Arabia invest in the mixed martial arts the way they invested into the sport of golf with Live Golf, and, and we've seen what happened there. My initial thought was, well, so, Daniel, we're recording this here. Uh, it is Thursday morning, 9.14 a.m. Eastern time here in Tampa, 8.14 down there uh, where you're at there in the Rio Grande. So, um, so what? PFL uh, acquisition of Bellator gets announced, I don't know what, 45 minutes from now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, for people, now that we are we are joking with this, but me and Daniel have this joke of we will record a podcast, and then by the time I get this thing edited, put out, some major news is broken. Yeah, it's going to happen 100%. When that news happens, it'll be during that time frame. Um, look, that's a lot of money. And uh, getting in bed with Saudi Arabia is going to give you a lot of capital because Saudi Arabia is spending money for the sake of just getting normalized, just having the countries normalized. This is basically advertising for Saudi Arabia, sports. Mm-hmm. So if you get in business with Saudi Arabia – you're going to get a lot of money, and that's going to allow you to sign free agents, acquire Bellator, do big pay-per-view matchups. So for PFL, it's a good deal for them in terms of the finances. On the flip side, getting in bed with Saudi Arabia is is a slippery slope. It You can't have any moral high ground because this is a country – with a pretty bad history, not to mention, you know, the mur- you know the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, but it extends beyond that. You look at the various human rights uh, limitations in that country, and you are giving them the okay. And in this country, in America, we have started to just be accepting of the relationship sports have with Saudi Arabia. You know, at first we were up in uproar with golfs and mm-hmm. live golf and all this stuff. But then whenever PJ and Saudi Arabia got in that agreement, well, we just said, well, oh, shucks, we'll move along. And it seems like Saudi Arabia's strategy is slowly but surely working into where they are just working themselves into the framework of sports. And uh, the PFL is another one. And can I blame the PFL for taking this deal? Even though it's something where I would not do it because of maybe what where I stand morally, I can't blame them because I see so many other people in the American sports landscape making similar deals. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to come to probably some fighters, you know, morally. Where, where do they kind of sit? Because, I mean, look, we did see some golfers who are very much very public about the fact of they didn't want to be a part of Live Golf. And, and now, of course, we've seen with the merge between PGA and, and Live Golf. So I think that really comes to question, especially some of these top fighters, uh, of where do you kind of stand with that? But, um, you know, I will tell you, I remember about a year ago, I had heard that there was conversation between PFL and Saudi Arabia about putting an event over there. Um, and, of course, ultimately that did not come together. Um, you know, look, at, at this point, I truly would be surprised if PFL does not acquire Bellator. I mean, that that's just no inside information here. That's just... That's just my gut feeling. I, I think it's probably only a matter of time before we we see that uh, that acquisition happen. Um, you know, and it's going to be kind of interesting to kind of see what does that look like. Um, you know, I think one of the things, that, and I was thinking about this driving to the office yesterday, of like, you know, if, if you're if you're part of the the PFL management right now, you're part of the PFL ownership group. Which God knows, I want to know how many people have ownership stake in PFL. I swear, over the last five years, we've got about twenty of these emails about all these people that have invested in PFL. But my thought has got to be is, at the end of the day, PFL has been been out since 2012. 2012. I mean, it was a World Series of Fighting. The turn it got rebranded PFL in, in twenty eighteen. I think really the question has got to be if you are in the ownership of the PFL is do you believe you have the right people running fight operations? If you're going to add a bunch of talented fighters to your roster currently under contract with Bellator, do you feel you have the right fight people running fight operations? And that's where I say, look, look, I don't know who they would incorporate from Bellator, but there is a lot of people who currently work for Bellator that could bring a lot to the PFL. I just don't know if... The people who run the PFL are maybe willing to embrace some new people coming in with who have a different thought process on how you promote a mixed martial arts promotion. If you're a college football fan, if you're a college football fan, kind of reminds me of Texas A&M. We have Jimbo Fisher as our head coach, and he's been struggling as an offensive coordinator. <laughs> he doesn't want to give up the reins. He doesn't want to give up the reins. But this offseason, after a couple years, of, you know, five and seven, when they had it to one of the best recruiting classes in the country, he had to give up the reins to Bobby Petrino to be the offensive coordinator. And Jimbo Fisher had to receive the CEO rule. And we'll see how successful that is. That may not be very successful or may work. So the PFL probably does need to be like Jimbo Fisher. But moving forward, that is the second most important thing for PFL. And I think we both know what the most important thing is. It is where are they going to be on TV with their next TV deal? They need to secure a really good deal, whether it be con continuing their relationship with ESPN or going somewhere with just as many, if not more eyeballs with just as much, if not more money. Because the reason why they are in a position to potentially acquire Bellator is because Bellator screwed up when they went to Showtime. That is, that is the make or break. That is the most important. How this promotion distributes its TV product moving forward. That's number one. Yeah, but you, you talk about the biggest error in Bellator history. I think that, that's got to be number one, the move to Showtime. I, I think that they're changes. selling. I mean, they're selling. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, it's 
you just you look at it, and I think that if you had that con- if you had a a legit conversation with people who are part of Bellator, I think they would all agree with you that it was probably one of the biggest, if probably the number one downfall of Bellator, just because you got to you got to put your product in a place where people want to see it. And I'm glad that you brought up, you know, the PFL because you know their deal with ESPN is up at the end of this year, and it becomes a very interesting aspect of your ESPN because the PFL deal is up after this season. The UFC deal, I believe, is up after 2025. We know the the kind of the, you know, the UAE and and the Saudis may not are, are uh, they're not besties. I guess let's just say that. And I do wonder as the PFL is attempting to get into the market share that the UFC has, will there become a point where Dana White picks up that phone and go, "Hey, ESPN, you want to be in the UFC business?" Yeah, Dana, we want to be in your business. We want to continue this relationship. Well, here is a part of that caveat. You ain't in the PFL anymore. And the PFL does great viewership numbers on ESPN and on ESPN+. Plus. But if they go somewhere else, I don't think they can draw those type of numbers. And, and, and to me, it's more about the platform you are on than your actual product. And you want to be on ESPN. And that, to me, is where I look at the PFL and say, if you're not on ESPN, are you getting 300, 400,000 viewers per, per show? And I, I think that's a struggle. Yeah, it is a struggle, and they won't. Um, with, with, with Dana, that's something that could happen. I don't think it will happen because th- their number one priority has to be getting the most money out of ESPN and their next TV rights deal. And to sacrifice... Hey, make this concession about P. When you tell your partner, hey, don't – when you impose yourself on your partner and you say don't be in the PFL business if you want to be in the UFC business, that is something where down the line you're pissing Disney off just a little bit. You, for you – I mean because like all these negotiations is a lot like a, like a, like measuring what you got inside your pants. It's all these people being like, here's what I got. Here's what I got. So if you're Dana White and you're coming to me and I'm Bob Iger and you're telling me what I can and can't put in my airway so I can stick in your business, it's like, boy, I got the NFL, I got the NBA, I got the MLB, and you're telling me how to do my business, I got a big thing down there. So I would say maybe don't do that because it's all about getting that bag in 2025 and you want espn heavily invested in you so you can go to fox sports and be like i got this deal how much are you going to overpay me blah 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 so honestly if i was dana i wouldn't do that but dana white doesn't think logically he does think emotionally and you cannot underestimate the dynamic between the uae and saudi arabia as well as maybe some of the other things the pfl has done to potentially piss off the ufc so could that reality happen absolutely is that something I would recommend? I don't know. Speaking of Dana White, as a guy who wants to lose a lot of weight, bro, have if you do a comparison of Dana White now versus a year ago, Dana White has lost a ton of weight. Yeah. I was I was I was watching some the other day, and I was like, and then you look at Dana now, and I'm like, wow, Dana has leaned out as as someone. I mean, obviously, you're, you're in this professional wrestling world where you're you're leaning your body out on, on the daily. I was just I was the other day I saw that I was like, wow. Man, Dana, when Dana, what the hell did you do, man? Can can you pass along your secret? <laughs> Does yeah, he have something man. that Paulo Costa secret juice? <laughs> well, Paulo Paulo's juice 
bulks you up a little bit. Uh, yeah, kudos to Dana. You know, well, you know, maybe he got a little extra time, uh, but or maybe he's eating right or whatever. Or maybe he, I know he went to. A, I know I, I read some story like a year ago or a year and a half ago where he went to the doctor and the doctor told him like, "You are supposed to die on this day." Uh, based on yeah, all yeah, your yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember him. So maybe, yeah. maybe that, maybe that changed his life a little bit. He was like, "I'm gonna change my habits and live a healthier life, so I can live longer." I, I did have had had a laugh. Uh, so you know, obviously, the contender series was on Tuesday night. Dana talked to the media after it, and he gets asked about. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the video that uh, he put up on his, on his Instagram where uh, a guy tried to uh, break into his house in Maine. Oh, no, so, so he, he's telling the story about he's like, uh, I, I want to say his, his sister, uh, was, you know, staying at the house or, or was going to be staying at the house. And he, he's talking about how, uh, the guy that he, he has who kind of oversees, sees the house when, when Dana's not in Maine. And, and he said, he goes, I'm sitting here and he goes, I get a call at four 30 East coast time. So it's one 30 in Vegas AM. And he goes, and I see who it is. And my first thought is, Oh, this can't be good. This can't be good. Why is he calling me at four thirty in the morning? And, and he, he's telling the story about he's like you know hey you know someone tried to to break into the house. The cops are here. We've got video footage. They're going to go put everything out in the morning. And Danny goes he goes no nah, man screw that. Send me the video right now. I'm going to make him famous. Oh my god. <laughs> like, like, it's seriously like, this point like it, it just amazes me. Like you know look we we all know robberies are going to happen. They're going to happen. You know, but like. Every house has a camera on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. And every, yeah. Why why are people doing robberies? I mean, the only robberies that should be happening are judges doing robberies. Because uh, why, why, why are you talking about Chris Lee and Sally Model like that? I know, I know. Who are they gonna screw over this week in France, right? Who every week they do a robbery. But uh yeah, you, you do a robbery twenty twenty three, that's kind of camera, no doubt about it, if and or butts and it's stupid. Stupid does and stupid does. Yeah, man. You know, it's just it's one of those things I saw. I kind of laughed about it, and uh, you know, of course, there was a question about John Jones and Colby Covington, and uh, three more fighters were signed. Um, and something because uh, I, I don't know if a lot of people. I th- I feel like people know this. Maybe they don't. But so when someone goes on the contender series, no matter whether they win or lose, the UFC has a thirty day exclusive negotiating rights period with that fighter that allows them to sign them at any point. So a fighter who necessarily doesn't get a contract doesn't mean they may not get signed within that thirty days. And uh, it's that it's that time of year where uh, if you have two losses in a row, not not a good time to be a UFC fighter because they're they're trying to clear room uh, to get all the, these fighters in there. Of course, uh, UFC Paris coming up here on Saturday, and uh, you know to me like I. I it's to me it's about the top four fights in this card. Clearly the main event, Surreal Gone and, and Sergey Spivak. We got Rose Dom Yunus moving up to 125 pounds, take on Manil Fia Roach. A nice lightweight matchup between Benel Saint Denis, Diago uh, Moises, also Vulcan Olsmir, part of this card as well. And uh I mean look, and, you know, we kinda know about this a little bit earlier. Uh hey Sergey Spivak, you have lace up them wrestling shoes in this three fight winning streak. You know, he's got fifteen takedowns in his last three fights. If Survey Speedback's going to win this fight, we know what's going to happen here, Daniel. He is he is lacing up them wrestling shoes, and he is taking Surreal Gone to take down City because you know we have seen this with Surreal Gone. You know the 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 major weakness in his game is the inability to stop the takedown. When you're talking about what Francis Ngannou, not a wrestler at all, able to take him down. Of course, we saw John Jones, and you know John Jones did what John Jones did, like. <clears throat> 
sorry about that. But if if you are the the, the coaches of Sergey Spivak, I mean, the mindset is, hey, hey, we are not fighting here with our ego. We're fighting with brains here. Take his ass to the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's gotta be the strategy because Real Gone is just the way better striker, unless. God has been dramatically affected by the traumatizing nature of only landing one groin strike in the biggest opportunity of your life. Cyril's going to go out there and have his way on the feet with Sergei Spivak. But who knows? Who knows in terms of where Cyril Gone is at mentally? I'm so excited for this fight. I think these top two matchups are really, 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 really good. Like, I'm really excited for Gone and Spivak. I'm really excited for Rose and Manon. But um, it, it's tough for me not to pick Sergey Spivak here just because the path to victory is very clear. Put this dude on his back. Cyril Gondo is like so, so damn good, so damn talented. His rise up to the challenging for the championship really exemplified how talented he was. But, God, he got embarrassed by John in – I just think Sergey has some really strong wrestling, and I think he's going to put him on his back, and he's going to win the fight there. But you stay on the feet for a minute, for two minutes, three minutes with Cyril gone, the man's going to make his home country happy. Yeah, I mean, if I look at the weakness of Sergey Spivak, to me, it is the the boxing defense and then the kickboxing defense. I mean, look, if this fight stays on the feet, to me, there, there's no question that Cyril gone will walk away with the victory. I'm changing like, my pick. I'm changing my pick. I, I got to go gone. The more I think about it, the more I think about it, I can't pick. Spivak, Gone has just shown it to me way more against those elite heavyweights versus Spivak. You know, that Tom Aspinall okay. fight, I, I got to go Gone, actually. Okay. Outside of his win against Hatu Avasa, which is all the way back in 2019, tell me Sergey Spivak's best win in the UFC. Carlos Felipe, Jared Vandera, Alexi Olenek. Greg Hardy, Augusta Sakai, Derek Lewis. I think the easy answer is Derek Lewis. Yeah. After that, man. It's like Augusta Sakai. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, obviously, Olenek, I mean, a veteran sport. Jared Vandera is not in the UFC anymore. Actually, was, uh, I saw the other day, uh, he's fighting a light heavyweight. He's really leaned out. Uh, I want to say maybe it's this week, maybe he's fighting. Maybe it was last week. But I saw it recently. He's moving down 205 pounds. But, like, to me, like, if you're Sergey Spivak, it's about taking this one to the ground. If, if this thing stays on the feet, to me, it is surreal. Gone's fight to to uh, to win here. Uh, a co-main event, uh, interesting matchup here between Manoa Fierot and Rose Namajunas. Of course, Rose, first time we have seen her since uh, losing the title against Carlos Barca, and uh, well, no reason to go back and watch that fight. Like if you like if you told me you went back and watched that Rose Namajunas Carlos Barza fight from a year ago again, I'd be like, bro, do we need to talk? Do we need to go to therapy? Because you should not be watching that fight. More than once. Yeah. Uh, how many people went on demand to watch that fight? Like, what are, what are the ESPN Plus numbers? Or the UFC Ten? bypass numbers on, on Rose uh, okay. and Carla? Uh, it's all the Manofia Rope coaches. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you even learn from that fight? Because there's no way Thug Rose is going to fight like how the way she fought against Carla, against Manon. That, to me, was just, that was an aberration. I think we're in store for a great fight here. I don't know who I'm picking on this one, Jason. I mean, you know, it's it's tough. You never know what you're going to get with Doug Rose. Is she going to be one of the best fighters on the planet? Or is she going to have a confusing performance? 
I mean, my thing is, what is, you know, I, I never looked at her as a big 115-pound fighter. So now moving up 10 pounds, what's that going to mean? I mean, I think that if I'm thinking a path for Rose to win this fight, it, even though I do think Manon Road has good submission defense, my thought would be is her taking, utilizing grappling in this matchup and maybe walks away with a 29-28 Nanticision victory. I would expect that this fight is going to go 15 minutes here, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's very much a question of what to expect out of Rose Namunas. I mean, I, I think it, it's so, you know, there, we talk about this all the time. When you're breaking down a fight, there's things you know and there's things you don't know. And, and I think the part with Rose, the things you don't know is, well, what's she going to look like at 125 pounds? You know, is is what's this fight going to be like? And to me, I I understand, like, if you're looking to make a, a wager on the fight, I understand why you might want to maybe look at the uh, the underdog spot here in Rose Namus. I want to say she's... Uh, let's see. Over at DraftKings Sportsbook, she's plus 170. Bet MGM, plus 145. So odds are kind of a little all over the place. You know, I mean, I, I think if I was going to attack this from a betting aspect, I'd probably look at probably looking at uh, wins by decision prop, which uh, Nami Yunus wins via decision plus 300. Uh, Fero wins via decision plus 130. So, I mean, you do get a little bit plus money there on Mano Firo, but I, I think Mano Firo gets the job done here. And, and to me, it's just more about the, I, I just have too many questions about Rose and, and kind of where she's at at this point in her, her career. Yeah, it's, it's appetizing to take that. Rose is a dog because, you know, if you have the ability to get plus money on Rose Tommy Hunas, it feels like a real opportunity. The difference between Rose and Manone has been the consistency of Manone's performances. But the difference there is Rose has fought a lot better fighters. I'm going to go Manone here. It's her home country. I think this is the biggest fight of her life. I think she's going to fight like it. I think offensively she's going to have the advantage on the feet. But it, it, it's just tough to bet against Rose. It's tough to bet against Trevor Whitman. It's a tough fight to, to bet against Nami Yunus, but I, I'm going with Manone here. Uh, lightweight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't feel confident either way. I mean, I don't yeah. feel confident either way over there. Uh, lightweight matchup, Bernard Saint-Denis and Tiago Moses. This is another interesting matchup. But a nice little step-up competition here. Bernard Saint-Denis, who has won three in a row since uh, losing that decision against Zaleski Dos Santos, uh, coming off that uh, rear naked choke victory against Ismail Bonfin. Of course, uh, Tiago Moses, uh, a long time, uh, been in the UFC now. For, Jesus, I feel like he's been in the UFC for a while now. I mean, he made his contender series debut back in 2018. Of course, uh, before that LFA, kind of, kind of a little bit of an up and down. I mean, but I mean, you look at his losses in the UFC. It's Benil Dariush, Demir Ismagulov, Isla Mahachev, and Joel Alvarez. I mean, that's you know all those. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, if you, you said, I mean, I mean, all those guys are are legitimate. You talk about obviously the best lightweight in the world. There, um, you know, to me, Saint Denis, it's about the striking. So I would think that you see Tiago Moses, even though we have seen him utilize the striking more. I think looking to go to the grappling matchup. I was kind of, you know, I will say this: when he lost that matchup against Dos Santos, I was a little bit down a little bit on Saint Denis, but man, he has really come back. Excellent strikes there. That that's a matchup that really intrigues me. Um, and also the Ozdemir fight, I mean, you know, taking on a, a fighter, making his UFC debut here, and that being uh, Bogdan Gustav. Uh, the one thing I would tell you about uh, Bogdan, um, strength competition is a little uh, shaky. And so that's always kind of scary when uh, a guy making his UFC debuts coming in here uh, against, you know, a guy like Vulcan. I mean, obviously, you know, Vulcan, you know, I. Probably got to put that gatekeeper word on, on Vulcan at this point. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think I think you do. He tried his upward climb and he almost got there, but then he got stiff armed back down. And now he's welcoming Bogdan to the UFC. Do I have any idea who Bogdan Guskov is? Absolutely not. All I know is he's Russian. All I know is he's 12 and 2 and he's finished all of his fights that he won. Will he be the next best thing since sliced bread? Or will Vulcan Ozdemir come out here and embarrass him in one round? I have no idea. We shall see. Bogdan Guskov is a pretty good name. And that's kind of all my analysis on that fight. I would probably pick Vulcan Ozdemir. But, uh, yeah, I don't know nothing about Bogdan. Yeah, he, he's a finisher. Um, I mean, look, if he's going to win this fight, to me, it's him knocking out Vulcan in, in the first, second round. But I, I think the more likely scenario is Vulcan. This is probably a fight that maybe he wins via decision there. Uh, outside of that, of course, this is a fight card that's gone through a, a ton of changes over the past couple of days. Uh, but uh, to me, it's about the top four fights on this card. Now, one of the things that uh, me and Daniel have just kind of dropped the ball on here on the pod over the past couple of months is doing our draft year. And uh, so we're going to do our September draft. Best five. Be, uh, we're going to do. We're only going to do uh, five fights here, Daniel. You'll get five picks. I'll get five picks. Look at you. Look at you. I may have forgot to uh, do a little bit of my research on this. So I was, I was, uh, as we were doing the show, I was putting down some fights here. Uh, I'll be the nice guy. I'll give you the first pick. Oh, then you're being really nice. I'm already going to win this fight. I'm already going to win because this entire month is only one really, really, really badass fight. There's like one A class fight and there's one like A minus class fight. And the A plus fight. Is the pay-per-view main event. Israel Adesanya, Sean Strickland. You had to go with that one, number one. There's no other comparison. I think there's a very clear number two pick, but there's a very clear number one pick. And the best fight of the month is Izzy versus the crazy man, Sean Strickland. By the way, are we doing a snake here? Yeah, let's do a snake because the first one is so much better than number two. Okay, I got to go Grosso and Shevchenko, the rematch on, on September 16th. That, that, to me, has got to be my first pick. Yeah, that's the no-brainer. There's... You know, basically, the first two fights are all championship matchups. Uh, Grasso and Shevchenko, great rematch. Grasso beating Shevchenko, one of the best upsets we've seen in a while. Uh, what you got, number two? This is what this, this, this is a, this is a tough one for me. This is a tough one for me. Um, I think there's a lot of good options to go number two. Yeah. I might surprise you with my second pick. I'm staying on September the 16th. Kevin Holland versus Jack Della Maddalena. Yeah, that's a hell of a fight. Why are you picking it? I just think in terms of fight quality, you know what Kevin Holland's going to do. I mean, I think the highly of Jack Della Maddalena. Um, Dana White uh, came out and said they offered this fight to uh, Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson turned the fight down, which uh, is kind of an interesting one here. Uh, but I, I think that the rise of Maddalena plus, uh, I mean, look, I just don't think Kevin Holland can be in a boring fight. Yeah, I think that's a great fight. And I'm not going to judge you for picking that one, number two. Uh, I had a group of three fights. That was a part of that group. And honestly, that might be the most interesting fight. My next two, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Gon Spivak as my second pick. And now I'm going to push your pool. I think you're probably going to take the fight that I'm leaving on the table uh, here. But I'm going to go with um, another fight night main event. Raphael Fazeev versus Matthias Gamrot as my third pick. Yeah, that, that's a that's an excellent matchup there in the lightweight division. I feel like kind of uh, Rafael Fizzavis has, has kind of become a guy I think we've kind of forgotten about in this 155 pound division. So uh, my third pick, uh, you know what? 
you know, I got to go with Mr. Shuey. I, I got to go with Tatu Avasa and Alexander Volkov. Just, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, look, it's it should be a fun, uh, striking matchup between those two guys. I mean, that, that one sticks out to me. So that'd be my third pick. For my fourth pick, I'm going to go over to Bellator. I'm not going with the main event. Wow. Give me Aaron Pico versus Pedro Carvalho. A good fight. I also had that one on my list. Why are you picking Pico and Carvalho? It's all about Aaron Pico, man. It's all about Aaron Pico, man. I mean, like, look, it. You tell me if PFL eventually acquires Bellator, which I think we all expect. Pico in a 145 or 155 pound tournament. I don't know how many guys are gonna be exactly thrilled to see him stand him stand him stand across the cage from him. Yeah. No, I agree with you. What, what would I, oh, God, man. Oh, if Pico went to 155, tell me. If I said it's Aaron Pico, Clay Collard, you're not making sure you're in front of your television set? That's a hell of a fight. That's a fight I want to see, my man. Uh, Pico, yeah, I, Shane Burgos? Oof. Time me up. I'm excited because, like, yes, Aaron Pico is one of the most exciting dudes in that Bellator roster. Still has all that upside. And, dude, Pedro Carvalho is a good fighter for him to challenge himself against. So, I'm all in, Jason. You, you, it's a good pick. All right, what, you, what so, you got for your fourth pick, fourth and fifth pick? You know, I was, I was looking at – I got to – it's tough. You're, I'm not going to pick Lance Palmer versus B. Burt Tumanoff at the ACA 162 card <laughs> in Russia. That's what Lance Palmer's doing now, but I'm not oh, picking yeah. that fight. Um, I'm going to go, it's tough. Firstly, I'm going to go, I'm just going to say screw it because I know you're going to pick it if I don't. I'm going to go Johnny Eblen and Fabian Edwards. Okay. You know, Eblen's one of the best middleweights in the world. And it's tough, man. I I know the fight I'm not picking you're going to pick, but I just got to go with the name value of Rose Tommy Hunis. So I'm going Tommy Hunis and Manone. What's the fight you think I'm going to pick? Bryce Mitchell and Dan Ige. Yep. <laughs> I, I just I, I think that's a stylistically it's it's a fun matchup. Um, can can Bryce get the fight to the ground? I think that's got to be. If you tell me the fight's on the feet, I think Dan Ige picks him apart. I really do. I mean, yeah, I, I think yeah. that's that's a really nice co-main event. Uh, that's the uh, the fight night card on the twenty third. Of course, uh, you know, at the UFC Apex. Ugh. Can we get out of the Apex, please? I hate the Apex. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking over that Bellator event, I mean, there's a crap ton of fights. And just, um, you know, you look at something, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much this fight really means, depending on what kind of happens with Bellator future. Sarah Collins and Sinead Kavanaugh have 145 pounds. If Bellator is going to be around for a long time under the, the current regime, I, I would say that that fight would probably have a little more um, of meaning in, in terms of, of that matchup there. Um, Masvidal, Daniel Vichel, I think that's that's a nice little fight there. Two ninety three. I don't know if you've seen the, the kind of the chatter online about this. Uh, a lot of people basically just saying, "Yeah, this pay per view sucks." <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's a pay per view for the Australian audience. Let, let's not kid ourselves. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. On on paper, yeah. it's a fight card that just doesn't uh, you know get you really excited. I will say this. I am interested in Charlie Radke making his UFC debut, uh, coming over from CFFC. Wow. He's been given Blood Diamond. God, I mean, he might just take Blood Diamond. Oh well, anyone's going to take Blood Diamond down. Yeah, still yeah. one, still one of the greatest combat sports names, Blood Diamond. If only he was a little bit better at fighting, but he's a good striker, a hell of a striker. Yes, 
big gap in his game that is really, really not good in, in mixed sports shorts. Yeah. Uh, you know, other things uh, I would say, uh, how does Raul Rosas Jr. bounce back? He, he's going to be part of that September 16th card taking on Terrence Mitchell. I mean, I, I know I saw he was doing some media in Vegas this week. Uh, you know, kind of seeing what, you know, how does he bounce back? You know, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to use the term, you know, that gets used in athletics a lot of he got exposed, but he's, he's an 18 year old kid. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. I mean, the thing is like, if I'm the UFC, it's like, and how you, you work the career Rojas, Raul Rojas Jr. is where's this kid? Like when he's 24, we know how yeah. good he is at 18. How good is he when he turns 24? Be patient with the kid. He, he will pay dividends and, Look, that's a good fight. I think you look at some of the other fights that I had on my list that we didn't pick. I have Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson. I have Manil Kopp and Felipe Dos Santos. Tracy Cortez, Jasmine Jazzy-Davicius. Tim Meads and Andre Filo could be a good fight. Charles Jordan, Ricardo Ramos, and then the Benoit Saint-Denis, Tiago Moises fight. So those are kind of all the matchups I had listed as possible picks. Uh, other thing to mention, uh, you you uh, brought this. You talk about these weird stats in MMA. Max Holloway's only thirty one years old. <laughs> yeah, and even Rose only being thirty one is another one. Think of how long both those fighters have been in our yeah. lives, and it's like, damn, they're thirty one. Think of how many high level UFC fighters are thirty four and up. D- don't worry, I don't know if you saw this. Ilya Tapori is calling for him to retire. Yeah. D- did you see that post? No, I didn't. Oh God, I gotta find it. I, I I saw it. I was like, bro, you're talking about one of the best fighters in the division currently. Um, God, I gotta find. Did he? I'm trying to see. Did he put it on? Yeah, he goes. He put it on, on uh, X, aka Twitter. I gotta get used to saying X. I mean, oh, it's Twitter to me. He goes. I respect these two at Plus MMA and at Korean Zombie MMA, but it's time for them to retire. Ask Sugar Sean MMA, keep rising up, and maybe one day we'll share the octagon. You and Alexander Volkanovsky, get ready to tap out. The master class is coming for you. Enjoy the weekend, everyone, with the salute emoji. Well, look, hey, Elliot Tapori is a damn good fighter, but I disagree with him. Max is 31. He's still fighting amazing. Yeah. That, that to me, is like the, the thing that, and, and Dana White was ta- was asked about this week of like, hey, you know, what's your thoughts of a, a fourth matchup between Volkanovski and and Holloway? And uh, to say Dana White's not interested in it would be about the best way to paraphrase what Dana White said here. But like to me, it's like a really weird spot if you're the UFC matchmakers with Max Holloway because like he's clearly the second best fighter in this division. There's there's no question about it. D- doesn't sound like he has any intentions of moving up to 155 pounds. It's like, so what are you going to do? Put him up against a young up-and-coming fighter, and he's just going to knock that up-and-coming fighter off? Now, look, Max is, take, Max is taking a ton of damage throughout his career, but, like, do you want to put Max... I mean, you would, you would kind of think that Volkanovski... I mean, obviously, you know, they couldn't put him against um, Mahachev. Taporia would make all the sense in the world for a title matchup, but but do you want to put a max up against Ilya Taporia and then he potentially knocks Taporia down? I, I, to me, it's a really weird position for me. And, and I like the, the, the attitude Max Holloway has. He's just, hey, man, just line them up. I'll beat them all until I get back to the title. Yeah, let, let, let him get back to the title. Put him up against those junk guns. I'm all in for it. 
Who cares if he knocks them down? If he knocks them down, then they weren't meant to be champion anyway. I just want to see badass fights. Max Holloway's a badass fighter. I want to see Max take on Ilya Teporia. That's the fight I want to see next, Jason. I was just, I was just, I got to look at, I mean, because obviously Max is just fun. So many people in this division and, and making sure that I'm not missing out on, on someone maybe. Uh, you know, he's already got the win against Jair. I, I was looking down on it. If it's not, let's, let's just say Tapori is getting the next tile shot, which I would imagine that's kind of the thought process here. How about Max Holloway versus Giga Chikadze? Yeah, that's a good one. I don't love it because I feel like I want to see Max take on those top five well, dudes. Uh, well, let's, okay, let's, let's look at your top five. Holloway one, Yair Rodriguez two, already has a win against Yair. Brian Ortega, already has got a win. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's beat Ortega. You got Arnold Allen, who just got a win against. Then it's Taporia. That's your top five. Guys then if you, if you go if you go six through ten, you got Josh Emmett, who I believe Josh Emmett has basically let known that his next fight's gonna be his retirement fight. Uh then it's Calvin Cater, Giga Chikadze, Mozart Evalev, uh, then ten, obviously it has not been updated yet. Chan Sung Jung, so he'd be removed. So eleven, Bryce Mitchell, twelve, uh Sadiq Youssef, thirteen, Danny Ige, fourteen, Edson Barboza, fifteen, Alex Saris. Ooh, Holloway Barboza, that'd be a fun fight. Like, I almost feel like that's if you're Max Holloway, like, you're probably just going to find yourself in some fun fights because I don't think you're going to put him against a top five guy or a rising prospect. Yeah, I don't know. I think you got to whenever four of your five wins are over Yair, Cater, Arnold Allen, and Korean Zombie. But if you don't do that, then it is the fun fight route. And you can get the best of both worlds. The Giga Chikaze fight is still a matchup against a top eight dude. Still going to be a fun fight. Barbos is still a top 15 fighter, so you get a little bit of best of both worlds. But if this guy keeps on winning, put him in a position to challenge for the title again, even if it's going to be a fourth fight with Volkanovski. If it's inevitable, it's inevitable. Max Holloway deserves that opportunity if he can prove that he's one of the best fighters in the world. He might be the best featherweight on the planet. We, we don't know that. He, he's, he's fought the champion and he's lost, but he continues to get better. Yeah, I mean, and also I want to mention this note before we get out of here. And I saw this the other day from Aaron Bronstetter where he uh, tweeted. Do we still call it tweeted? Did he X? No. What do we call it? Yeah. I don't, you just, you say tweeted, but it's not accurate because we don't say it. I, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But he, uh, he, we're going to say he tweeted. Just realized that outside of Alexander Volkanovsky, who's coming up on four years as UFC featherweight champion, Leon Edwards is the only other UFC champion whose current reign has lasted more than a year, a mark that eclipsed nine days ago. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. We, we, we kind of used to some long term UFC champion, but, uh, yeah, things have been in flux amongst pretty much every championship matchup. Every yeah, I mean, that's crazy to think about. If you would think a year ago, I think probably the one that would have would have shocked you the most if if I would have said, you know, we're going to be in the middle of 2023 and Valentin Shevchenko is not the women's flyweight champion. I think that that to me is the biggest one of any title changes. Yeah, that one, or even Amanda as the bantamweight champion. Just because, like, yeah, the idea of her retiring is the only thing that could take that title away from her. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I think Valentina. When did Izzy lose his championship the first time? Was it within that year? Yeah, it was uh, November of last year. So, I mean, that would have been another one where it, was, it would have been a bit of a stunner. But the two women's champions were the biggest shockers because it was just like, who the hell is going to knock these two off? Yeah, I did see a note that uh, I guess Dana had kind of alluded to the the potential of Yuri and um, 
Alex okay. uh, Pahea, um fighting for the vacant light heavyweight title come in um, in December. Haven't you know the one thing that's kind of interesting? You really have not heard what's what's going to happen with the women's 135 pound title. I mean, you, you obviously we, we know Juliana Payne is going to be on one side of that cage, no, no doubt about it. But I guess the question becomes is who's going to be on the other side of that cage? Is it going to be someone like Raquel Pennington? Um, and I will say this: I'm very interested to see does that title fight end up as a co-main event of a pay-per-view or is that a headline or a fight night card? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're seeing Grasso Shevchenko as a fight night headliner, but only time will tell. I mean, I think probably co-main event, but we've already now seen that they're willing to put championship fights as fight night headliners. Yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day there, I mean, it, to me it's becoming very clear for the most part, they really want to have two title fights on every pay-per-view if they can. I mean, I think there's some, so there are some cards where I think they necessarily won't do that just because you have a, a major, um, someone they believe is a pay-per-view pusher that maybe they don't want to give the pay-per-view points to, to a, a title fight in, in the co-main event. Um, you know, we haven't, haven't heard about when Colby Covington, Leon Edwards is going to happen. Um, there was, I guess apparently Colby did some interview where he said, John Jones requested that he not be the co-main event of that card. Well, I, it was funny. Data got asked about it. He goes, he goes, hold on. So you're telling me Colby's talking shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I think it would be what what I wonder what is the conversations behind the scenes between the UFC and Colby Covington? How different is the Colby Covington banter as opposed to what we see in interviews? Oh, I bet it's night and day, night and day. But he's completely different in in that type of setting versus what I think is him putting on a character to sell some fights. Oh, very much so. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, I, I want to know bring up and you know, I heard this on another podcast. They were talking about if Michael Page signs with the UFC. They brought up a name of potentially the hardest fight for him in the top 10 of the UFC welterweight division. Obviously, a lot of people might say Colby Covington, Kamar Usman. But uh, the name that got brought up, Shavkat Rachmanov. It's a good name because no one wants to fight that dude. No, he's, no. He, he's, he's the scariest dude. The reason that makes him more dangerous for Michael than the other two is that he doesn't have any name. You take on Kamara, you take on Colby. Those dudes have names, but he's so well rounded too. I think that's the other side. Like, like you look at Colby. I mean, look, Colby's grappling is obviously world class. You know, but you, you see some deficiencies in, in his striking game. I mean, Kamara Usman. I guess the question really is where is Kamara Usman at this point in, in his in his fighting career? But uh, I mean, like, look, I, even though I know Page and Wonder Boy have kind of become closer the past couple months, I mean, that's a fight that I would love to see. I mean that that's a clearly a matchup I would love to see, but I, I think it's only a matter of time for Michael Page in the UFC. I mean, I think that that's just that to me that's a formality. That, that that's just a formality to me. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's inevitable, and I think Page and Thompson is the perfect. These two dudes fight interesting stand up styles. It's going to be like a karate movie situation. Uh, let's let's see them match up, but. Uh, the UFC, if they sign Michael Page, take care of him. Don't put him up against these wrestlers who are going to put him on his back. Put him up against these stand-up fighters who are going to give us these memorable moments. I, I heard Josh Thompson bring up this point, and I thought it was a tremendous point. You're going to know how much money the UFC paid Michael Page based on who they put him up against first. If they if they you know showed him the showed him the bag, you're going to see him against like someone like an Usman. If they showed him yeah. the bag, that's who he's fighting. Yeah. They're they're not going to give him some tune up fight. Hey, Michael, go out there and do what you do. If they if they show him the bag, they they ain't easing him into this. 
No, absolutely not. It's going to be, we want to, we're going to, we're going to test you. We're going to see if you're what you're worth. Exactly, exactly. But as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, it uh, comes out uh, midweek. Sometimes it's Wednesday. Might be Tuesday some weeks. Might be Thursday some weeks. But uh, it all just kind of depends on what's going on with myself and Daniel's life. So as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Yeah.